Man, I thought it was, we're in a series on anger, and I, th- I thought, at 28-14, I thought this was going to be a very, very appropriate series. <laughs> Some of y'all got that. It's all right. I tell you what, nothing will rile people up here in the South like football, right? Am I right about that? Man, you want to get people fired up. I, I, I tweeted today, not many people follow me on Twitter, so I'll go ahead and say it so I can make all of you guys angry, but... Uh, I tweeted this morning, and I said, hopefully it used up all your worship yesterday. Man, you get people fired up, you start talking about football here in the state of Alabama. Am I right about that? Uh, I, you know, I, I think the, well, I don't know. This, this is a toss-up between which could, could make you more angry, football or family. I don't know which one can make you more angry. Am I right? Sometimes it's both. <laughs> My brother was a Georgia fan, an avid Georgia fan. I don't, and my mom's a Georgia fan. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, they love Athens. My mom's from Athens. They love Georgia. Um, sorry, Mom, I didn't mean to do that to you here, <laughs> today being what it is. But, um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, anytime, anytime the, uh, the Georgia would play anybody, you know, it's always this rivalry thing that would come up and, uh, you know, my brother always knew how to push my buttons. The only person who knew how to push my buttons more than my brother was my sister. You know what I mean? Like, my brother, he knew how to push my buttons just right, but my sister knew how to, uh, to push my buttons worse, and my mom knew how to beat us all, you know? Because <laughs> you want to talk about somebody, why are y'all laughing so hard? Y'all know my mom? Have y'all met my mom? You met her. I know you did because you hugged her on the way in the door. Um, as we're talking about anger, look, I, I you know, uh, vengeance is mine, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And, uh, I, I figure since I got the microphone and my mom beat me so much as a child, I figure this is my chance, you know? So now I'm just kidding. I'm going to take it easy on mom, but I am going to talk about how the, you guys, I don't know why you always get a crack out of it when, when I talk about me being beat, me being beat with a flip flop, but you guys love that. So. Um, I got hit with two things as a child. No, three things, technically speaking. A belt on rare occasion. Usually it was the flip-flop and then the flash water. So some of you, yeah, some of you are nodding because you understand where I'm coming from. Some of you are thinking that maybe DHR should have been called, but that's the way things were when I was growing up, you know, the flash water. It, it corrected me. It helped me. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, thankfully, I never had to, to hit my child with a fly swatter, you know, I, Cassie, I just had to give her a stern talking to, and she was like, oh, you know, but fly swatter is what I needed, so, but there were times when my brother and sister would get me in trouble, and they would cause me to get angry at my mom, because we, I was notorious for, <laughs> I told this story a number of times, and you guys always like it, so I'll tell it again, just for you guys, but riding in the car, uh, as a child, for whatever reason, that was the time when we all, we all needed Jesus more than any other time. Many, many of you guys don't really go on long road trips. Nowadays, it's more like hop on Spirit Airlines if we're going somewhere, you know, and we'll pay $35 to fly on a fold-out chair. It'll be fine, but <laughs> hopefully nobody from Spirit's watching the Facebook Live. But anyway, so... Um, so we would go on long road trips, you know, maybe to Athens, Georgia or wherever. And, uh, you know, so 
uh, maybe up to my grandparents' house in Tennessee or whatever. So, uh, you know, I would always sit on that little fold-out uh, armrest in the front seat. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, we had an LTD, um, and, and it had the little fold-out. So the, the ones that are like 20 and under are looking at me like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Imagine, imagine like a truck seat, like a bench seat in the front and in the back, okay? And it's got a huge armrest that folds down in the middle, where that's where I used to sit without a seatbelt, okay? So that, that was my favorite place to sit, okay? And that's what you did, you know, when I was a kid. But anyway, so my, my sister and my brother would always be in the back seat, and it, inevitably we'd get 30 minutes down the road, and I would be like, I want to go back there in the back and sit with them. It was always like a 30-minute battle of me saying, I want to go back there. My parents saying, no, y'all will get in a fight if you go back there. And I would say, no, I'll be good. We won't get in a fight. That was a total lie. So anyway, so I would finally coax them in because they were tired of me nagging. You know, they knew it was another five hours of me just complaining. So they're like, okay, get in the back seat. So we would get back there and I don't know, we, we would talk and have good good time for, you know, five, six, seven minutes tops, you know, and then... Then the fighting would ensue, right? Like somebody crossed a line. There's always the line in the seat. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It, 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 there, there's piping in the seat. You know, this is back in the old days where the fake leather had a little piping in it, you know? So like they crossed my line. No, that's my line. No. And then you got the brother or the sister that would go right up to the edge like this with the finger and be like, I'm not crossing the line. See? See that? See, I'm not crossing the line. See? This is my side. I'm on my side. Mom, he's about to cross my line, you know. And before you know it, it's, it's a full-out brawl in the back seat, you know. People are rolling around. There's fists flying, and, you know, we're kicking and screaming in the back seat. And my mom is just like, you know, and my dad, you guys know my dad probably if you go to this church. You know my dad. He's just sitting there. Do-do-do. <laughs> Checking his watch, you know. Only another 17 hours to go, not bad. And my mom's losing her mind in the passenger seat, you know. That's it. I'm getting my flip-flop. You know, and, and I, I'm, you know, I weigh like 18 pounds, you know. I'm stuck right in the middle because that's where I had to sit, right? Right in the middle of my brother and my sister. What do they do? Okay, you know. They, 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 you know, fight or flight, they're just, they, they flight, they're just run. So they go whoop, up to the sides. There's little Kenny, you know, little scrawny Kenny, 18 pounds of Kenny laying lay right in the middle. And I'm just like this, like a little puppy, you know, just like, don't hit me with a newspaper, you know, like, you know, and, and there comes the, fly, the, uh, the flip-flop just whap, 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 whap. And, and my brother and sister over in the corner just looking at me like. So I love my brother and my sister, I really do. Um, but yeah, they, I, I'll tell you one quick story uh, about my, my sister also. Um, we used to, I, I don't know, what, what is it about like your siblings, you want to be near them just to make them mad, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what that is, like, like you, you kind of, it's, it's like something that God put inside of you, like you, you just want to be near them just so that you can make them mad. I, I, I don't, if you don't have a sibling, I'm sorry that you don't know that, but like, as the youngest child, you know, I, like that was my job. My job is to make my older siblings mad. That was, 
God put me on this earth for that purpose, just to make them angry, okay? To test them and to show them that God loves them and doesn't want them to be angry, to, to push them towards God's word. That was my purpose because, you know, I was just showing them what anger is supposed to look like. So anyway, so my sister and I used to play board games, and one of the games that we liked to play was Monopoly. Nothing, nothing says a brother and sister's love like a 17-hour board game. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know that things are going to go well if you got to sit there for two days and play a board game together. You know what I mean? Like, it is going to be wonderful. It would, it would not take, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes at the max before my sister accused me of cheating, okay? And, and, and there was this one, okay, so I did cheat sometimes, all right? So this is pre-Jesus, so give me a break. But anyway, so, but... Like there was this one time where I was legitimately winning. Like I was killing her. I was smoking her in Monopoly. I mean, I had boardwalk and park place and I had hotels everywhere and it was a good day. You know what I mean? Like I was, I, I, she was in jail and I was pass and go and it was just a good day, right? So like, and, and I was just raking in money and, and she would accuse me of cheating. And this, I, was, I told her, I was like, I'm not cheating this time. I'm just not. One thing that she used to do that I got privy to later on in life is she would always call out, Mom! You know, that was all, Mom! It rings in my ears today. It's like nails on a chalkboard. Mom! You know. So she would, she would do that because she had to get the first word in so that she knew that, that, so that Mom would know that I was the one doing the annoying first, okay? She had to get the first words in so that Mom would know that I was the one causing the problem first. Well, what I started to learn to do is when she yelled, mom, I would be like, she would go, mom, I'd say, she's hitting me. <laughs> she would start the sentence, I would finish it. And that way I was like, I'm the one saying that she start. she's like, I hadn't even touched you. I was like, I know, but I got the first word in. <laughs> she thinks it's you. <laughs> so, okay, so let me confess sin to you. So this day that I happened to have a, uh, I have not cheated at Monopoly. I was just smoking her. And, I, and she's six years older than me. So I was just dogging around at Monopoly. And she got mad at me and accused me of cheating. Listen to this. I threw the dice at her. That's big time. That's rolling around out in the yard kind of big time fight. You know what I mean? Like, like we fixed to go at it. And, and let me tell you something. That, I, was, I was probably eight years old, something like that. I'm 41 now. She still brings that up to this day. You remember that time you threw those dice at me? I was like, that was over a quarter of a century ago. Let it go, you know? God's word says you got to let that stuff go. You can't be hanging on to that. She will still. Ask my sister sometime, can you ever throw dice at you? Mm-hmm. He sure did. We was playing Monopoly, and he was cheating. I was not cheating, y'all. I was not cheating. So I got to think about this whole family thing, and uh, I got thinking about anger, and yeah, you know, I was going to start somewhere else, but I think I'm going to start um, in, in in Genesis in chapter four, actually, because I started to think about family rivalries, and I started to think about angry anger. You guys have heard of Cain and Abel, right? Adam and Eve's child, children, I should say. They had uh, two kids, Cain and Abel. It says uh, in Genesis chapter 4, beginning of about verses 2 and a half, it says, When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. So he was a gardener. And when it was 
time for the harvest, Cain presented one of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift of the best portion of his firstborn lambs from his flock, and the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then, you, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. So here we got a family feud going on. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were there, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now, I cannot imagine that kind of family feud, right? Believe it or not, that kind of stuff happens even to this day. We see families, they're so enraged, there's so much anger, there's so much bitterness, there's so much hate there that they'll kill each other. I mean, we, we, we see stuff going on, we're like, man, I cannot imagine, I can't wrap my mind around how somebody could get to that point. Well, God starts, I mean... He's talking to Cain here, and he's saying, look, you've got to get this rage under control. Why do you look so angry? And, and, and we say this all the time, that when, when God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answers, because he's given us an invitation. When God asks Cain, he says, why are you so angry? He's given Cain an invitation, don't be so angry. Let's deal with this thing. Let's, let's work it out. Let's, let's, let's get through it. You know, I mean, the biggest problem, I think, in people is that the reason the anger controls them is because they don't work it out. They don't deal with it. What happens is that, that anger will tend to build and anger will tend to grow. And if you try to push it deep down inside, you kind of swallow it like a pill and say, I'm not going to deal with this. And what happens? It begins to grow. It begins to fester inside of you. And the anger begins to build more and more and more and more. And all it takes is a little bit of something else to cause it to grow inside of you a little bit more, right? It doesn't take a whole lot of extra stuff for the anger that was there initially to grow deeper if you don't address it initially. And that's the biggest problem. I mean, there was an incident on Black Friday with some people getting an argument in the Galleria, right? I, I don't know the ins and outs. I don't want to discuss the details because I don't know. I wasn't there. But all I know is there were some people that got shot in the gallery on Black Friday. And I'm like, really? I'm sure that it probably started out as something small, more than likely. Two people that probably didn't even know each other. And something probably happened. Somebody got mad about something. And instead of dealing with it, talking about it, addressing it like, like two people are supposed to do, what did they do? They, they, they put it on the inside Instead of, instead of being open to the idea of reconciliation, which is number one, by the way, on the list of what Jesus says we're supposed to do, we're supposed to be open to the idea of reconciling with one another. What did that big word reconciling just means to come into agreement with? You say, man, I don't know if I'm really on board with that reconciliation idea. Well, if you're not on board with the, that idea of reconciliation, then you're not on board with the idea of grace, which is exactly what God gave to you so that you might be, be saved, so that you can get into the kingdom of heaven. See, because God so, thought so much of reconciliation that he thought that you should be reconciled to him, so he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, for that purpose. 
So if you don't think reconciliation's a big deal, you're missing a really big deal, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. Because we want to be recipients of reconciliation, we don't necessarily want to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Am I right? Imagine if these people in the Galleria had been ambassadors of reconciliation, ambassadors of Jesus Christ, and said, you know what? No matter what it is that we've got between us, we need to deal with it. We need to reconcile. We need to work it out. We don't need to let this build up between us. We don't need to let this, we don't need to let this fester because if it festers, it's going to get worse. And if it gets worse, it's going to consume us. And when it consumes us, it's going to control us. And that's exactly what God said to Cain. He's like, look, you got to subdue it, subdue it or it's going to become your master. It's going to control you in a way that you don't think it's going to control you. You see, oftentimes we tend to downplay anger. Oh, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I got angry, man. So what, you know? Yeah, I understand. You know, we've been talking about in this series how I'm not supposed to let my, my, the sun go down on my anger and I'm supposed to, yeah, I understand that. I was not supposed to stay angry. Okay, yeah. And if I stay angry, it could hurt my testimony. Yeah, I don't really want my, my testimony hurt. I don't really want to, you know, hurt my testimony. And yeah, that's bad. But you know what? Anger is not that really big, not that big of a deal, right? Well, Jesus begs to differ with that idea. So we're going to look exactly at the words of Jesus about what he says about anger, and we're going to talk about that for just a moment. Has anybody ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Sermon on the Mount is a pretty big deal, right? So, so Jesus sits down in Matthew chapter 5, and by the way, when a teacher, when a rabbi sits down, everybody listens. See, all the disciples of, of whoever the rabbi was, you know, they would follow around him and every time he would speak, they'd be listening and be listening to what he has to say. But if he sat down, that was a big deal because that means he was about to, to devote some specific attention to teaching you something. You better be listening. And in Matthew chapter five, he sits down to teach. And it really says in the Greek that it's not just him speaking when he begins to speak. It's like he begins to share his mind or open his mind, or you begin to see the heart of God, if you will. So you're like, okay, so this must be a pretty big deal. If we get to see the heart of God in Jesus's words, that's why they're written in red, in case you're wondering. We get to see the very heart of God here. You know how we tend to downplay stuff sometimes, and we tend to say, well, that's not really that big of a deal. I'm pretty sure, unless I'm missing something, the heart of God is a pretty big deal. The creator of the universe, the one that put the very stars in the sky, that tells the oceans where to stop, I'm pretty sure when he speaks, we should listen. So let's see what the creator of the universe has to say when he opens up his heart, when he opens up his mind, his, his mouth, and begins to speak. Let's see what he has to say. Now, I, I want to I get... I want to get a running start in here, so, so I apologize. We're going to actually back up in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 17 and go through 26. So just to tell you what Jesus is kind of prefacing here when he starts to talk, he says, don't under, misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or writings of the prophets. He said, I didn't come to like change things up. I didn't come to like redo a whole bunch of stuff. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I, I came to see it through. He said, I'm not rewriting the laws. I'm not changing the game on you. Not changing the rules. He said, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, 
Not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than righteousness of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now this, this little snippet here in verse 20, we're going to kind of come back to in a minute. Verse 21, this is, what, this is what Jesus says. You have heard that our ancestors, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call them an idiot, oh no, that's a problem for me. You are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So I have to tell you a quick story about this because it's so funny. I remember I was in fifth grade, and my best friend, um, he called somebody a fool, which technically, if you look at the second part of the, the last verse I read there, um, if you curse someone, that technically, in some of the, your uh, other versions, it says if you call somebody a fool. Um, I had a friend <laughs> who called somebody a fool in our fifth grade class. He said, you fool! And our fifth grade teacher, who happened to know the Bible very well, she goes, Chris, do you know what it says about calling somebody a fool in the Bible? He said, uh, and of course he had no idea, you know. He goes, yeah, yeah, yes, ma'am. And she goes, what? What does it say? He said, uh, not to... <laughs> Sorry, I had to tell you that because it was so funny. I, I was in fifth grade. I still remember that. She says, it tells me that you're in the dangers of the fires of hell. He said, okay. <laughs> oh, me. Anyway, so what, what is Jesus saying here? He says, you, you were told, your ancestors were told, and you were told not to murder. And it says, he says, but I, I say this. I say this, that, that even anger is like committing murder. It's like the end result of murder. Because we have a tendency to look at people that commit a murder at the Galleria on Black Friday. We, we have a tendency to look at them and say, man, that is an awful person. Somebody that's controlled by their anger. Somebody that, that has just been, been dominated by evil. Well, don't be so quick to judge. Don't be so quick to look at them and say, man, that person has got, got it all wrong because if you look deep inside your heart and you look at the anger that you have, you might see that you're on the same level that they are. And they may not be so far off from you after all if you compare yourself to the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. See, we, we, like to, we like to take ourselves and compare ourselves to other people and say, man, see, I'm not so bad after all. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't compare yourself to other people. You compare yourself to the righteousness of the law. You compare yourself to perfection. That's the comparison. So when you look at yourself compared to perfection and you look at them compared to perfection, you can see that you're both way off. Now, now some people are like, I don't see how anger and, and murder are the same thing. Like They seem like completely different things. Well, Jesus gives another illustration down here uh, about lust and adultery. And, and you say, man, uh, you know, Jesus drawing some crazy conclusions here, some, some crazy analogies here. You say, well, those aren't the same. Well, imagine if you walk in and see 
walk into church today and you see your wife sitting in another man's lap. I think that that's, you're going to say, and they say, oh, it's okay. It's, 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 It's not adultery, right? Would you say that that's okay? If you're the husband, you go, well, that's, that's all right. Or would you say, no, that seems pretty bad to me. And Jesus is trying to draw out the, 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 the point in their mind that, you know what, anger and murder, man, there, there's, there's a close relationship here. There, there's a close connection here. And that is that, that, that murder is just the continuation of that, of that anger carried out to its end. That it starts, it starts with exactly what, what Cain experienced at the very beginning. What did Cain experience at the very beginning? He was jealous, right? He saw that, that, you know, that Abel's sacrifice was acceptable. Why was Abel's sacrifice acceptable? Because it was a blood sacrifice. We know that a blood sacrifice is the only acceptable sacrifice to God. We're not going to have a whole conversation about Cain and Abel today, but I just want to show you that, that there was jealousy that set in. That Cain saw that, he became jealous of that relationship with God, and that began to control him. It started out as just this little spark, but it began to grow. It began to grow, and before, I mean, God even tried to warn him, like, look, if you don't get control of this, it's going to consume you like a fire. The same thing with lust and adultery. It's going to consume you like a fire. You start, it starts out small like a spark, and it's going to consume you. It's gonna, before long, it's going to control everything about you. And the same thing goes like our teenagers. One of the things that is a big struggle for you guys and your friends is pornography, right? People start to delve into pornography. And it seems like a little bitty thing, not a big deal. Yeah, I saw this picture. I saw that video. No big deal, right? And you know full well people that you know, and I'm not just talking to teenagers here because I know a lot of men in this room deal with the same struggle starts out small and then it consumes you and then it consumes you and it consumes you and before you know it it's taken over all of your thoughts it's all you can think about you have to have it it's 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 something that controls you and it's not just men in this in this room it's also some women in this room men struggle more so with lust but there are also women in this room that struggle with lust and struggle with an addiction to pornography just like men do And it's not just teenagers, it's not just our college students, it's not just our 20-somethings. You can be 54 years old and be a man in this room or a woman in this room and still struggle with an addiction to pornography because it started out small and it grew and it grew and it grew because you didn't address it at the very beginning. And Jesus is trying to draw out this analogy and show, man, this is how it can consume you. You think that your anger is just no big deal because it starts out and you're you're just frustrated. Just frustrated by the way things are. I mean, that's, that's the way Cain was. He was just, oh, man, why does he get this and I don't, you know? Why, why, does, why, why does he get everything this good? You know, some people start out with that way and, and their family too, that, you know, why does the younger sibling always get this and the older sibling, man, their, their rules were a lot tougher, you know? And this starts out small and then it grows and it grows and it grows Happens a lot in relationships, marriages too. Am I right? Starts out as a small thing. Something that's seemingly not so big, but it grows and it grows and it grows. And the divorce papers it call is called irreconcilable differences. Start out small, but because it's not addressed, it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. 
And that's the same thing that happened at the Galleria. Something started out small. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's a sale price or I don't know if it's a spot in line. I don't know what it was, but it started out small. And because people weren't open to the idea of reconciliation, it grew and it grew and it grew. And Jesus says, if you are looking at yourself and you're saying, see, this was part of the issue with the Pharisees because they would look at themselves and say, you know what? I'm righteous because I've never committed murder. Back in Exodus chapter 20, Moses brought down the the laws and said, man, don't commit murder. And they're like, I am good. I am not committing murder. I am good. And Jesus is saying, I understand that you're looking at, at, at the words written on the stone tablets and saying that you're good. But let's take a moment and let's pause and let's get beyond just the words on a rock and let's look at your heart for a second. See, it goes back to what I said before, Jesus, I'm speaking as Jesus now, it goes back to what I said before, that I didn't come to erase all the laws and start over again and give you a whole new law about anger now that's in addition to murder. He says, all I'm doing is taking the intent of the law and showing you where it really begins. I'm showing you where it really starts, and it starts with anger. He said, I'm just, I'm just seeing that you understand that the, the purpose of this law is so that it goes all the way back and it talks about what the root of the problem. There's a lot of a lot, of, a lot of organizations these days within companies, and their, their whole purpose is to address the root of the problem. Some of you know what I'm talking about. They call them the five whys. You say, well, why did this happen? Well, because so-and-so happened. Well, why did that happen? Well, because so-and-so happened. Well, why did that happen? Because so-and-so happened. You just kind of keep tracing it back for the whole purpose of getting to the root of the problem. Some of you have kindergartners that are like that. They say, you know, you ask, they say, why is this the case? You say, because of this. And they go, well, why is that the case? And you'll say, because of this. And it's like they're trying to get back to what is the core thing that we need to know about this? And what's interesting is we'll be in business and we'll see that that's important to get down to the root of the issue. And and here in our daily lives, we'll dismiss it and act like it's not a big deal instead of taking the time to get down to the core of the issue and say, you know what? Reconciliation is where we need to be, and reconciliation needs to be at the heart of the matter. And if it is not, then it will consume us, it will control us, and it will devour us. Somebody asked me the other day, so how much does, does Satan have to do in order to throw us off course? I said, not very much. Not very much at all. Most of the time, he just has to stand back and watch us do our thing. He doesn't have to put very much temptation out there. He doesn't have to, he didn't have to twist things around and shake us up and, and do all these bad things. Most of the time, he's just got to stand back and say, huh, watch them do their thing. And you'll see this happen even within the church, even amongst the people that are supposed to be ambassadors of Christ, ambassadors of reconciliation. And what do they do? They get mad. They start bickering. You'll get mad at me. You'll start bickering about me or something I said in my sermon. And instead of coming and talking to me about it and trying to figure out where my heart is on the situation, you know what you'll do? You'll go and you'll start talking to somebody else about it. And then you know what that person will do? They'll go and they'll take that and talk to somebody else about it. And it's called slander, in case you're wondering what it's called in biblical terms. And it's one of the most divisive things that happens within the church. 
Instead of taking it like Jesus is, if somebody sins against you, go to that person. One-on-one, talk to them about it. But then again, that requires some effort, right? It also requires you to have some guts and some courage to go and talk to that person. Hey, look, I got an issue with you. Can you talk to me about it? I tell you what, if you come and talk to me that way, I promise you, we're going to work it out. We're going to work it out. But, but, but if you come to me and you don't have a heart of reconciliation and you just want to fuss at me, that's very difficult for me to deal with. I'll go ahead and tell you, I'll tell you from the beginning. Because I get a lot of people as a pastor, I get a lot of people who just want to fuss at me and don't really want to reconcile with me. If you want to reconcile with me and you want to work things out and you want God to be glorified in our relationship, I'm 100% on board with that. But if you're not on board with that idea, then we probably don't need to talk yet until your heart is in that place of reconciliation. Let's talk about what verse 23 says. Jesus is talking to the people. And he's trying to emphasize how important it is that you understand this idea of anger and how consuming it can be and how it controls you and what it does, how damaging it is to your heart. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that something that someone has something against you, leave that sacrifice at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. This is how damaging it is according to Jesus. That if you are, are you, there's tension between you and somebody else. Now this could go both ways. Maybe you've got tension against somebody else or maybe somebody has tension against you. It says, if there's an issue there, go and reconcile before you come and offer a sacrifice to God. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, go get your heart right before you go to God. Go get your heart right between your interpersonal relationships before you even even come to me and ask for, for forgiveness from me. If something comes to your mind, it's because I have put it on your heart. Because the Holy Spirit of God has put it there for a purpose. That purpose is for you to deal with it. And, and some people are like, well, I'll just, I'll just ask God to forgive me and it'll be okay. Not according to Jesus. According to Jesus, it's important for you to go to that person and reconcile. Now, you may, I, I got asked this question. I'm going to be perfectly transparent with you. I got asked this question by a person that was on the very edge of death. Like, look, I, I don't even know where that person lives. I know they got an issue with me. I've had an issue with them. We got a divorce do I, do I have to go find them out and reconcile with them? I can't even travel, you know what I mean? And I, I, I really believe the intent of this scripture is to do what you can to try to reconcile with that person. If it's impossible, maybe they're, you know, they're in the middle of Africa somewhere and you can't get in touch with them. Yeah, that, 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 I think that's acceptable. But I think that the, the premise that God is setting here, the precedent that God is setting here is that if there's any way possible for you to reconcile with that person, take that opportunity to reconcile with that person. Now, does that mean that if you go to that person and you offer up a heart of reconciliation, that you're always going to get reconciliation? No, no. Dalen says no. <laughs> she knows. Just because you've got a heart of reconciliation doesn't mean that person will. 
Just, just because you say, man, I'm open to the idea of showing you the love of Christ doesn't mean that they'll be a recipient to that love, or, and it also doesn't mean that they'll also reciprocate that love of Christ. That has nothing to do with your heart. Forgiveness is about what goes on inside of you. Forgiveness and reconciliation is about what you have inside of you, not about how it is received. You see, see, God offers forgiveness to us. Even if we don't accept it, there's still forgiveness there. It's not a reflection on God because we don't accept it. Do you see what I mean? Therefore, if you go to somebody with forgiveness in your heart to reconcile with a person, to love that person, to say, I'm going to show you the love of Christ, and they don't receive it, you've still done what you've been called to do. You've still been obedient to Christ. But be careful that you do not let that make you bitter again. <laughs> Think about that. You go to somebody, you love them, say, I want to reconcile with you. I want, I want to partner with you and just be an okay. And they reject you and you go, man, that makes me mad. What has consumed you? It's not the love of Christ. It's the anger that you went to defeat in the first place. Jesus is saying, before you even come to offer a sacrifice to God, make sure you deal with what's in your heart. I'm going to just breeze through this next two verses really quickly. When you are on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand, over, hand you over to the judge and will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. If that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Once again, just talking about reconciliation. When you're on your way to court, deal with it yourselves. Don't, don't wait and let somebody else have to deal with it and punish you as a result. Why don't you guys deal with it ahead of time? Why don't you guys deal with it uh, so that somebody else doesn't have to force you to? The kind of love and the kind of grace that God shows you, why don't you show that to somebody else? Now, I, I want you to see something here. I told you I was going to back up. And we'll do that here. In, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, it says this. But I warn you, unless you are right, your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, you may say, man, these guys, they knew a lot about the law. They, they knew a lot about what it meant to be righteous. They, they understood God's word. They understood the law of Moses. They understood all these things. And a lot of them lived very righteous lives. A lot of them lived lives that were, were very worthy of God and honoring God. So what is Jesus talking about right here? He's given a warning, and he says, and he's talking about their righteousness. How can you have a deep level of righteousness? How can you, as, as an individual, you could know this Bible inside and out, but how could you know a true righteousness? 
a righteousness that is worthy of God, a righteousness that is worthy of being in the presence of God for all of eternity. You can't accomplish it on your own. You can't accomplish it on your own. You can only accomplish it through the blood of Jesus Christ. So let me, let me ask you a question today. Maybe you have anger issues. Statistics show us that the average person gets angry about four times a day. A person who is, has anger management issues gets angry about 12 times a day. Maybe you're somewhere in between. The only way, the only way that you can be righteous in the sight of God is if you turn to Jesus. The only way that you can have pure righteousness in the eyes of, of, of the Almighty God is if you put your faith and your trust in the sacrifice that was made by Jesus Christ. Do you know that, that the only way that you're going to have a heart of reconciliation is if you do the same thing? The only way that you're going to be an ambassador of Christ is if you're, if you're a born-again child of God. If you're in the family of God, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the only way that you're going to be able to deal with the stuff that you're going on, that's going on in your life, those anger management issues that you have. The only way that you're going to be able to obtain that righteousness and the only way that you're going to be able to uh, deal with the stuff that's going on is if you surrender to him and his righteousness. You may say, man, I struggle every single day with bitterness and rage. and Man, I just don't know what to do about it. I don't know how to deal with it. There's one step that you got to take. One step that you got to take it's a step towards Jesus. It's a step towards Jesus. You take a step towards his love, his love consumes you. See, here's the thing about Jesus is that as you, as, as you diminish, he becomes greater in your life. So as you take a step away from you and a step towards him, as he becomes greater, all the things that, that are inside of you, that are unpleasing to him, he begins to work on you. Through his Holy Spirit, God begins to reveal stuff to you, begins to purge you begins to strengthen you beyond ways that you can be strengthened by yourself. You're looking for some power, some strength that is beyond yourself to deal with the stuff that's going on in your heart. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. You gotta stop trying to do it yourself. This righteousness that you're trying to obtain yourself, you're gonna fail. You're not gonna be able to do it. These struggles that you have with anger and bitterness, you're not gonna be able to do it yourself. You've got to have the Holy Spirit of God doing it within you trying to do it on your own you're going to fail if not today you'll fail tomorrow but if you do it in the power of Jesus Christ you'll never fail will you surrender will you just surrender to him and say God it's, it's not my way it's not, not my will it's thy will God you have your way and your will in my life and I'm just going to be obedient to you it takes it takes a step it takes a step will you respond to him today Father I know there are people in this place, God. They struggle. God, all of us struggle. Different ways, God. We've all got these different things that are going on in our lives. And, and some people struggle with lust, just like you tell us in Matthew chapter 5, just beyond what we just read. God, maybe there's some people in here that struggle with anger. And, and maybe there are things that you revealed to them today that they didn't even think about. They, had not even, they didn't even have an idea about what was going on in their lives until you revealed it to them. Well, God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit and the fact that you reveal stuff to us. You bring stuff to the forefront of our mind that we hadn't even thought about in years. God, we don't want that stuff to consume us. We want to be consumed by you. We want to be ambassadors of light. God, we want to be ambassadors of life. We want to be ambassadors of love. So God, I pray that today 
God, if somebody's here and they're trying to do it on their own, I pray that they, they would stop. They would stop in their tracks and they would just come to you, surrender to you. And God say, please do in me, Father, what I cannot do on my own. Lord, maybe there's somebody here that doesn't have a relationship with you. Maybe today, maybe their anger has revealed that. Maybe their bitterness in their heart has revealed that. God, they know full well that they don't have a relationship with you. God, I just pray that you would rescue them today. God, open their eyes, open their hearts. God, today as we looked at your mind, we were able to, to hear from you, to hear from the very heart of God. God, I pray that as we have heard from your heart, it has changed ours. So Lord Jesus, you speak as we obey. In Jesus' name.